All this time, she had been wondering how Gansey might die, and it turned out she was going to strangle him herself. Chapter 15, page 139, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and how you shouldn't go to a psychic if you don't actually want to know the answer. <laughs> This is episode five of our podcast, and we will be covering just chapter 15 of The Raven Boys. Mm -hmm. We'll also be doing a deep dive on tarot, and the character intros this time will be the ladies of 300 Foxway. Woohoo! Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven cycle as a cycle, so you'll want to have read the books before you listen, because we are spoilerific. Mm-hmm. We'll use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers will be from the paperback editions where available. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, possibly. I don't think there's anything lewd. I don't make any jokes this time. Hopefully no gray man violence. So, with that, let's get to the episode! Yep, we're gonna dive right into the Ladies of 300 Fox Way. The problem with the Ladies of 300 Fox Way is we kind of want more information about them. We don't really actually know a whole lot about their backgrounds, where they came from. We do get how they met much, much later in the series, and a little hint here and there of what their personalities were when they were younger, but we actually don't know anything about their backgrounds. And every hint we get makes me want to know more. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) So, Maura, obviously, is Blue's mom. She was hitchhiking on the side of the road one day. We don't know why. (laughs) And she met Kella and Persephone. And Persephone is just like, yeah, we're friends now. (laughs) Well, Kella put her... Kella told Maura basically, like, you make bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) And then Persephone, like, walks up and is like, you'll find that the next person will be stopping for us. (laughs) And that was how they met. And apparently they became best friends. But yeah, every tiny, tiny little tidbit about the 300 Foxway women, mm-hmm. I want more. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, as far as the actual characters are concerned, there's not much mm. to say. No. But Mora is the half-sister of Neve mm-hmm. and Jimmy. We don't know if Jimmy is a full sister or not. It kind of seems like Jimmy might also be a half-sister, but that's just kind of like from vague context Mm -hmm. clues. And I don't think that that means that Neve and Jimmy are sisters. I just don't know where that little family tree happens to be landing. And then Persephone, basically all we know is that she's Estonian. Mm -hmm. We don't know if she's a direct immigrant or if just her family is from Estonia. And Kala makes reference that Persephone should know what it's like to be famous, but Persephone kind of blows it off. So I don't know if that indicates that Persephone's family is famous for being a psychic. And we also have all of the unfinished PhD Mm -hmm. information and that she might have like a male companion elsewhere. (laughs) That she, that she apparently where. realizes is go- is not there. Yeah, <laughs> but but like a lover or a husband, but maybe it was a mentor. I mean, there's literally yeah, no... Yeah, you don't get anything. You don't get any information on it, so... I really want to know what her PhD was. 
Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And then Kala. Kala is amazing. Well, yes, absolutely <laughs> awesome. It's like I have such clear mental images of them and Mm -hmm. I wish that I could Mm -hmm. put it out there like what exactly I'm seeing in my head. Well, have you seen the actual art of the 300 Foxway women that Maggie did? I'm not sure. I should totally like... I'll post it on Tumblr. She did a book plate for Blue Lily Lily Blue Mm -hmm. that has the Foxway ladies on it. Cool. And Kella, again, we don't really get any information. It seems like she was running away. It seems like there were all running away Mm -hmm. for one reason or another but maybe she was trying to escape something that happened as far as her past we get very few hints she is african-american that's not even really brought up in no not really it's brought up in the dream thieves or not even brought up but her skin tone is referenced in the dream thieves Mm-hmm. But there's actually a few little indications of their background in the Christmas story, which we will be mm-hmm. reading for the next episode. Woo-hoo! Our next episode will actually be a special episode reading the two Christmas themed short stories, and we will release those on the solstice. So, Yay! Anything else about the ladies? I know that I've always thought of them as roughly the same age, mm-hmm. but they're also very much maiden, mother, and crone. Yeah. yeah Persephone mm-hmm. is maiden, right. Mora's mother, and Kala is crone. Right, right. Not like no, specifically, but mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you mean. 300 Foxway itself. 300. Three. Mm-hmm. Three psychic ladies live there. It's a small blue Victorian Blue is the color of psychic auras, according to Mallory. Mm -hmm. And apparently they just cram as many people into this house as they possibly can. (laughs) And it's a warren of additions and rooms and things like that. I've actually always kind of pictured it in my head, like the Weasley house in Harry Potter. (laughs) That is not a reference that I understand. But I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. No, I understand who the Weasleys are. <laughs> I know that much. But I... Just like there are different pieces yeah. of the house like sticking out everywhere and it matches but not quite mm-hmm, like, like mm-hmm. in a weird way. Right. And like I know that's not exactly how right. Fanner Fox Way is, but just Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of little. I mean, I've been in enough Victorian homes where it's just mm-hmm. like lots of little nooks and crannies that you're like, what? absolutely. What was that for? Yeah. Why? Why is this here? <laughs> why is this here? <laughs> the other thing that I don't actually have either textual or metatextual support for, but I am 100% convinced that 300 Foxway was named after the Fox Sisters. The Fox Sisters were the three girls, well, two, the two youngest Fox Sisters were the ones that invented spirit wrapping and started the spiritualism movement. Uh Yeah, so I want to do a little bit on the history of the Fox Sisters. And again, there is no textual evidence that this is the case. But the Fox sisters, Leah, Maggie, and Kate, so there were three sisters. Two of them actually lived in this house in Hydesville, New York. And they started the phenomenon of spirit wrapping in 1848. And it actually was possibly an April Fool's prank that they were playing Uh. on their mother. But their mother then called in a neighbor to say, listen to this. Like, they freaked (laughs) their mother out so much that it became something where Maggie was 15 and Kate was 11 when this happened. And Mm -hmm. Leah was actually already married and living elsewhere. So they became known, it kind of ballooned, and they became known as media and early founders of the spiritualism Mm. movement. And Leah acted as their manager. So they did this for 
years and years, eventually the younger sisters, Maggie especially, became an alcoholic. And then they finally confessed or she confessed to it being a hoax in 1888, Hmm. then recanted that it was not a hoax. (laughs) But spiritualism itself lasted well into the 1920s. Mm -hmm. The way that they said that they did it was actually by popping joints. And I mean, I have a trick wrist where I can pop the joint over and over, mm-hmm. but the first-hand accounts are like a booming noises. Yeah, that's not. And it's be like that. that's not a joint pop. But were they actually debunked? Were they not debunked? Was it actually true? Was it not true? I mean, obviously, probably I mean, wasn't there, true. There are ways to do that kind of thing. I I don't know as the top a of my head. Eleven year old. I mean, they talked about the ways that they tried to make this noise, like with an apple on a string and all this kind of stuff. But they also were doing by the time that they were in their late teens, early twenties, they were performing these things in huge halls. Mm-hmm. So it's just they would have had to come up with some kind of trickery. But anyway, I don't Mm want to get too much into that because like I could talk about spiritualism forever because it's like one of my favorite topics. Absolutely love it. So cool. That whole era just is amazing to me. But I have a distinct feeling that 300 Foxway is named after the Fox sisters. And there were three of them. Yeah. Just like there are three sisters. I would agree. So with that, the deep dive this time around will be a little bit different. We'll do a little bit of the history of tarot, and then we'll talk about Welk's reading, which we talked about last episode. We agreed that the cards for this reading we'll do in the body of talking about the episode. So So basically, we're going to split our deep dive up all along the episode. Correct. So the whole time I've been doing this, I've been hearing my paternal grandmother's voice in my head yelling at me for messing with tarot cards (laughs) because she was so against stuff like that that she would not even allow a deck of playing cards. We're not allowed in my mama's house. (laughs) Her church one time was preaching against cards, like playing cards. Right. And like they had this little pamphlet of why they were bad. And it's just like, I wish I still had that. It's not a chick track, right? Huh? A chick track? No, it wasn't a chick track. (laughs) They had chick tracks. Like tons of them. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, we can find the chick track. I've been handed chick tracks non ironically when I was little. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh my God. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Whereas my mom and I would shop for tarot cards together. (laughs) I'm like, hello. Yeah, sure. There's a whole bunch of conversation we could have about stuff like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, (laughs) it's just so totally Mm. different background, Mm. so. But yeah, so tarot cards show up for the first time in the mid-15th century. They're originally just a set of playing cards designed for an aristocratic family in Milan. Mm -hmm. Then, as now, it contained four suits. Right. uh, 14 cards each, plus 22 triumphi or trump cards, Mm -hmm. which became the major arcana. Right. Right, right. And they depict a kind of hero's journey. Mm-hmm. The fool travels right, from, right. yeah, through the major arcana to the world. Right. The suit cards, ace through ten of each suit, plus the king, queen, knight, and page, mm-hmm. are known as the minor arcana. Mm-hmm. And the minor arcana, minus the page, and with the knight changed to the jack, became the playing cards we're familiar with today. Mm-hmm. In a tarot deck, the suits are wands, cups, swords, and pentacles, and the wands became the clubs. Cups became hearts, swords became spades, and pentacles became diamonds. Mm-hmm. 
the the connection can't be made before about the 19th century. Mm-hmm. There are some connections between tarot and Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. Right. Or at least the Victorian or medieval idea of what Jewish mysticism was about. Mm-hmm. There are 22 cards in the Major Arcana and 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. And the letters are connected to the paths of the Tree of Life, the Sephiroth. Right. And each letter has its own specific symbolic meaning. And a lot of versions of the tarot, including the Rider weight, which most people are familiar with, have a Hebrew letter associated with each of the major arcana. Okay. There are four suits and four quirk cards in each suit, corresponding to the four letters of the unpronounceable name of God. Mm-hmm. There are ten pip cards in each suit, and there are ten steps in Kabbalah's Sephiroth or the Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding, and I'd have to actually find reference to this, but my understanding was that playing cards came first. There have been types of playing cards since way, 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 mm-hmm. way, way, way back. Like possibly like just actual, Egypt. yeah, just mm-hmm. actual playing cards, and that those were used for divination, a general divination tool. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that the idea of cards as divination came around in the 15th century, mm-hmm. but it's that that's the first time that something that is recognizable as the tarot as we know it now right. was developed. Yeah, I think that is the case. Yeah, yeah. First time yeah. What it's we recognized know as, as what we know as tarot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also a strong connection between the tarot and alchemy. Mm-hmm. which is from about the same time period. 14th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those thoughts on Kabbalah and alchemy were developed and combined in that same era. So I mentioned earlier that the major arcana depicted a type of hero's journey, and this corresponds to the steps in alchemy for making the philosopher's stone. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm trying to be brief here because right. alchemy can be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way too much information. Oh my gosh. Like, alchemy is so cool though. <laughs> yes, but it does <laughs> not apply to the Raven cycle. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Okay. I mean, it kind of does, but... Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe when we're searching for things to deep dive on in the Raven <laughs> King, we can get into that, but right. like... Well, like, it's all connected. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so you begin with the fool, and the fool is unnumbered because it isn't actually one of the trumps. It represents someone who is taking this journey. Right. The fool themselves is the prima materia, like the thing that is being worked on, Mm -hmm. the thing that's being purified. Or the self. Right. Mm -hmm. Their journey through the major arcana is their purification through the alchemical process. Mm -hmm. And each card is another step on the way to the philosopher's stone, which is the world, the last trump 22. Right. We just want to briefly go through what Welk's cards meant because we did not want to get into those last time. A lot of my in-depth interpretations and information came from a book called 78 Degrees of Wisdom. It's by Rachel Pollock, and we'll put a link to that in show notes and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Welk's first card is the Three of Swords, mm-hmm. and in Rider Waite decks, which is, again, the, the one we're most familiar with, right. the card depicts a heart being pierced by three swords. Right. It represents sorrow, and then I have a little chart as like short phrases about each of the cards, mm-hmm. and that chart says, this card deals with heartbreak, separation, and grief. The indication is that we need to take this pain into our hearts and move past it in order to grow and move on. The chart also mentions that threes are generally connected to communication. When this card is drawn for Welk, it definitely picks up on his history. Like, you know, the sorrow and the heartbreak and Mm -hmm. his loss of his former life and his social standing and his family. But he absolutely does not take the card's advice. Right. 100% does not. Swords also represent reason, which Welk doesn't seem to have a lot of. (laughs) 
We're locked. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I wanted to say that I have Maggie's deck of cards, which is not necessarily based on the Raven cycle, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot of obviously her own personal interpretations of the cards come out in the way that the cards are interpreted in the Raven cycle. So, yeah, the keywords are heartbreak, despair, and pain. And I love the first line in her book Congratulations, you found the worst card in the deck. <laughs> I doubt that. (laughs) There are a couple of others that I'm... It depends. She says, well, perhaps not, but surely it's in the top five. Absolutely. Nicknamed the heartbreak card, it does its best to earn the moniker. The pain symbolized in this card is intimate, personal, and devastating. And logic is often the weapon wielded here. It's the poison of choice in the sword suits. So yeah, it's a dire warning to step off your current path. And as we all know, Welk does not do that. (laughs) No, he does not. And Welk's next card was the Five of Pentacles. And on the rider Wait, the image of this card is two beggars, bent and crippled, walking through the snow. They're passing a church where the stained glass window has five pentacles in it. The Mm -hmm. fives in all of the minor arcana represent adversity and pentacles represent material matters, especially money. It's also the earth element. Right. Therefore, the five of pentacles indicates poverty, insecurity, or worries. Right. And I believe it's very similar in Maggie's book. The keywords are loss, destitution, and poverty. Mm-hmm. And she says, let's talk about failure. <laughs> <laughs> so All it's of just this is very, yeah. very. Right. Very, very relevant. much. Yeah. So. It's not the end of the world. There are five more cards to struggle through on the way to the top, but you have to keep faith that it will proceed. And I think that's mm-hmm. where Welk falls short. Yeah, exactly. The next card drawn for Welk is the Knight of Pentacles. Again, we're going to be using Rider Waite descriptions here. The card depicts a knight stationary on a black horse holding a pentacle. Again, pentacles are connected to money, which is Welk's real concern. Mm-hmm. And this card is Welk. Like, yeah. it basically is just him. The Knight of Pentacles suggests someone who's efficient and routine-oriented, hardworking and not a complainer in his positive sense. Mm-hmm. The darker side, though, is where we see more of a connection to Welk. The knight is holding the pentacle, but not looking at it. He's staring over it, suggesting he's lost the source and meaning of his strength in life right basically like he's aimless like right yeah he's searching which is what persephone says i believe Mm -hmm. it's persephone that says that you're looking for something Mm -hmm. and in maggie's book for the raven tarot it says they could be stubborn and certain of the current path will take them to the project's completion they're not wrong but that certainty can keep them from trying out anything new or taking a break Mm -hmm. so if Welk continued on that path he would eventually have made it Mm -hmm. but it would have probably been terrible for him because the next card was the tower Uh so the tower this card shows a tower on fire being struck by lightning bodies are falling from the windows Yeah, this card is even more so than, say, like, death or something like that, Mm -hmm. is the one that I least like to see in a reading. Right. Because it's always bad news. Yeah. Death can mean transition. A tower means traumatic transition. Mm -hmm. It's disaster, upheaval, tragedy, psychological, physical, some sort of something is going to bring the world crashing down around your ears. However, as with everything, there's the positive side. It could be painful, but meaningful and needed change, but only if the person... Only if you embrace it. Right. 
And you note, Welk isn't willing to work for anything, and the meaning of the tower showing up in his reading is really clear by the end of the book. Uh Uh-huh. And even though the Page of Cups shows up in Welk's reading, we will just go ahead and put that with Gansey, because obviously it comes up multiple times from Mm -hmm. Gansey as well. All right. Okay. That's stage one. (laughs) Stage one of the deep dive, you guys. (laughs) There's a reason why we're only doing one chapter. chapter. Okay, getting into the actual chapter. Chapter 15 from Blue's POV. Blue and the Foxway ladies anxiously wait for the fabled Gansey to arrive for his reading. He's significantly late, and surprise of surprises, it's President's cell phone, with Adam and Soldier Boy in tow. The reading goes about as well as anyone could have possibly anticipated, given that they're a household of psychics. <laughs> like, really, they should have known better, right? Mm-hmm. Like, seriously. <laughs> All right. You open up with Blue being like, of course Gansey is late for his reading. Right. My first thought was, he's late? Yeah. As in, like, dead late. Oh, dead late. I see. (laughs) Okay. I was like, yeah, he's late. But seriously, though, is this just Blue being pissy because it's Raven Boys? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, I also have a feeling that she's, like, so anticipating this that everything is just... Putting them on edge. Uh huh. And the sad thing about it is Gansey's late because he went to Adam's house after school. Uh huh. And that probably added, you know, 15 minutes there. Their talk was 15, 20, 30 minutes long, 15 minutes back into town. And so, yeah, he's probably 45 minutes to an hour late. He was probably going to come over right after school. Uh-huh. And he's late. And Blue doesn't know and why. And Blue doesn't know why. She's just judging him for right, being Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It seems like she's more upset by the fact that Adam hasn't called her yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been one I night, I Blue. know, right? And you, she's all like, oh, I thought he was different. Like, <laughs> you have no idea how dating works, young child. <laughs> like, it's been one night. Well, she's never I dated mean, before. Well, yeah. And seriously, give him a day to get through school. Uh-huh. Because he obviously is a student. He's not going to call you in the middle of the day, right? Mm-hmm. But my question on this one is, why is Mora making excuses for Gansey? Because she has to know what he'll be to Blue. Mm-hmm. And especially given the attitude that she has when finishing out the chapter. But she just keeps like... Giving excuses, giving excuses why he's right. late. It's like, why do that if you want her to stay away from him? Correct. Right. And she's like, oh, maybe he wrote down the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Time is kind of flaky around him. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe he had car trouble, which is actually possible. A, a possible, right. A, right. A, a highly probable right. situation for the pig. Right. <laughs> I really like the repetition of those lines because it leads the readers into assuming that more excuses are coming. Absolutely. Yeah. And then... Calla starts to go away and she goes up the stairs and just the line her voice carried down towards them was very ethereal and it puts a lot of space and quiet and tension in uh-huh. the house. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Calla's comment about Mora's possible car trouble mm-hmm. and Mora's reaction actually says a lot about the relationship to me and it seems very much like a Gansey and Ronan kind of thing. Yeah, we will be talking about how much those three mirror the three women yes. and three under five away throughout this whole chapter Mm -hmm. it's the big theme that we have in this chapter right 
Kala could have actually seen a breakdown coming, or it could just be like Kala trying to be helpful, and Moira listens either way. Yeah. Uh, she's described as being hyperbolic, and that totally <laughs> makes me laugh because I can totally see Kala like stretching that truth to make Mora do something right, she wants exactly. to Right, exactly. And then Persephone, yeah. yeah. And then Persephone's like, oh, it's always possible that he broke down the wrong time or whatever. Oh, yes, yeah, or, or broke mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, perhaps I'll make a pie. I'm like, banana cream pie? I thought the same thing. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I noted that perhaps I'll make a pie. Yeah, yeah. I wanted it to have been banana cream pie, but uh, it's not actually stated. Persephone is constantly injecting things that feel super meaningful into mundane conversations and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes what she says is both at the same time. Right. And then Blue's thinking she wouldn't begin a pie if she really thought Gansey's arrival would interrupt her. And Persephone's great at knowing when things are coming. Right. So why does she not know or act like she doesn't know here? Yeah, interestingly to me, Persephone says this, but there's no textual indication that she actually starts making a pie. Oh, it's true. There's so no. Mora goes to grab butter and, you know, other things, mm. which lead me to believe that Persephone's actually distracting Mora. Yeah. Like leading her in, and dispelling the tension there. Mm-hmm. And I have a really silly note, yeah. which is that Mora grabs a bag of yellow squash. And I have noted here, squash one. Squash one. <laughs> yeah. And then Persephone would make something sweet, and Mora would make something with butter, and eventually Kala would reappear and make something involving sausage or bacon. Mm-hmm. It was how every evening went if a meal hadn't been planned in advance. And I love this little bit of domesticity and normalcy. Right. And normalcy. I also noticed how much I mm-hmm. love this really comfortable routine. Right. And Blue's thinking about, well, Gansey's blowing us off. He obviously just looked at the clock on his Mercedes Benz or Aston Martin. And it's just interesting to see Blue preconceptions of these boys getting broken down piece by piece right when she finally sees the camaro later she's like oh Mm -hmm. that's not what i thought it was gonna be and then she says he's blown it off just like adam had blown off calling her she couldn't be surprised again come on yeah they'd done exactly what she'd expected from raven boys and she was getting ready to sulk upstairs with her needles and her homework and i'm just like she is so upset by all of this and there's no reason to be yet she's already conflating the two boys in her head too Mm -hmm. And I love the word sulk. I just got to say that. (laughs) It's a good word. It's a great word. It's so specific. And then Orla is like, there's a 1973 Camaro in front of the house. It matches my nails. Mm -hmm. She she howled from the phone room. Uh And for some reason, I always pictured the phone room being upstairs. Me too. So maybe it is. Maybe she's looking out a window over the street or something. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I need to draw a map of 300 Fox Mm -hmm. Way to kind of place yeah, where everything I'm, I'm is. I'm picturing it her calling down the stairs. Okay. Okay. And Blue wasn't exactly sure what a 1973 Camaro looked like, but she was sure that if it was Paisley, it must be impressive. Right. And right. I'm like, this is such a hilarious image. I really want a Paisley Camaro. Come on, you guys, make it happen. <laughs> Again, fan art. Paisley Camaro, uh, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> And then, well, here we go. Morris said, abandoning her squash in the sink. Squash too. <laughs> Kala reappeared in the kitchen, exchanging a sharp look with Persephone. Kala is described as sharp, much like someone else is. Yep. Blue's stomach dropped to her feet. Gansey, that's all there is. 
I like how it's made clear that everyone here sees this reading as important for totally different reasons. Right. And later, Blue has a falling sensation on page 148. And it again seems to be kind of that language of nervousness slash love. Right. That feeling of butterflies in the stomach or Mm -hmm. she's got some sort of a indication of Gansey just by the way she feels physically. Mm -hmm. So Blue thinks Gansey was the boy she either killed or fell in love with or both. There was no being ready. There was just this. Mora opening the door. There was just this is another phrase that seems to get repetition throughout the books. Uh-huh. There was just this. It really does. Mm-hmm. So there were three sets of shoulders, one square, one built, and one wiry. And we immediately know who's here. Yeah, Gansey is described as the square, Ronan's built, and Adam being wiry. Mm-hmm. Blue recognizes Gansey from the scent of mint in his voice, both of which were overpowered when she met them in Enos. Mm-hmm. I like how Gansey, when he comes in and he says, will it be a problem being late to the reading? Mm-hmm. And it almost forces the other person to say, no, of course not. And it's like a very powerful, very, right. very, in- very political, p- very political tool to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All this time, she'd been wondering how Gansey might die, and it turned out she was going to strangle him. I'm like, this is is one of my favorite lines in the entire cycle. Yes, exactly. Mine as well. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Now that she had put two and two together, it seemed obvious. Well, actually, how is it obvious? I don't know. It just doesn't seem obvious to me unless she has some sort of feeling of fate. On yeah, there. maybe. Mm-hmm. And I like how Gansey is described as dusty and must, which is always a notable thing for Gansey. We know that Gansey has been having these issues with Adam, but they don't right, know. Right, exactly. And, this is, and it happens, obviously, in multiple scenes, like mm-hmm. with Ronan in Dollar City and when they go to bury the night horror. Right. And it's like so specific. Mm-hmm. Blue's feelings on money seem to mirror Adam's, which mm-hmm. kind of makes sense to me because they come from a similar background. And she mentions that Gansey had the glow that meant not only had he never been poor, but his father hadn't, nor his father's father, nor his father's father's father. And she couldn't tell if he was actually tremendously handsome or just tremendously wealthy. Perhaps they were the same thing. I'm like, just admit you have a crush, Blue. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she's like, this was Gansey. That meant the journal belonged to him. That meant Adam belonged to him. And I'm, and I'm like, like, oh, ouch. It's mm-hmm. like all of Adam's fears are summed up and confirmed in less than 30 seconds. Absolutely. Oh, so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And then Mora invites them in. It was clear her curiosity overruled all rules of scheduling. Mm-hmm. And I think the sergeant women just have soft spots for breaking rules for these boys. I think they do because they yeah, do it all they do the it time. All the time. President Selfham brought most of his posse, except the smudgy one. And as we've established, it doesn't appear that Noah can even enter 300 fucks way. Right. I really the think Raven there's King. some kind of protection that keeps him coming. Correct. In. Yeah. Blue says they were loud and male and so comfortable with one another that they allowed no one else to be comfortable with them. I think we've all had friendships like that, though. It really reminds me of something a friend of mine said doing karaoke years and years ago. We basically took over a bar in mass and he said, <laughs> we're like the invading Roman legion, only with better hair. <laughs> and it stuck with me for years. That's hilarious. It's so funny. And all three of the boys are very masculine in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. And I get the feeling that Fox Way and the inhabitants thereof just don't quite know what to do with all that masculinity. No, no, they t- <laughs> sure don't. Yeah. 
And then Blue says that even the sharp boy's tattoo cutting up from the knobs of his spine above his collar was a weapon somehow slicing at Blue. It's Ronan as a soldier against the world. Right. The weapon mm-hmm. or spear imagery yet yeah. again. And I love how Gansey does the Disney point. <laughs> just like, like he's directing traffic. Mm-hmm. And it's such a funny thing. It's so specific. Mm-hmm. Like the flat hand, because you're not allowed to point at Disney. Right. Everything has to be two fingers, two fingers a, or mm-hmm. a flat palm. Right. <laughs> and then Gainsey recognizes Blue, and he's horrified, <laughs> yeah. and his face froze in the middle of a smile. Hi again. This is awkward. <laughs> right. I'm just like, it's so funny. At least he comes right out and acknowledges the awkwardness, uh-huh. though. I do appreciate that. <laughs> Right. And Mora is mad that they've apparently met and haven't told her. Right. I'm like, they don't know. And I'm like, this whole scene just feels kind of slapstick to me. Yeah. (laughs) Mora shot a poisonous look at Blue and Gansey shot an almost as poisonous look at Adam. And the two of them very much parallel Mm, each other. Exactly. And Blue felt unfairly persecuted. And, you know, she's right. She had no idea. Like, she hadn't put two and two together yet. Right. Besides which, no one in Henrietta <laughs> has object permanence. So how is she supposed to remember? This is going to be our excuse for everything. <laughs> yeah. If Blue had known Adam was coming, she might not have worn the baby blue top with the feathers sewn in the collar. Is she embarrassed about it? Because he was staring at it. She also notices his faded t-shirt, though. Mm -hmm. So why would she be embarrassed of what she's wearing? Yeah. And then either Adam or Ronan smelled like a parking garage. A, she immediately knows it's not Gansey because of the mint. And B, Ronan thinks that this is the smell of sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Just gonna put that out there. Of course he does. Yes. Yep. (laughs) Put that out there. And then Blue notices Adam's bruise and says, what happened to your face? Mm -hmm. And she's observant and she's blunt. Right. But she apparently has more class and tact than Gansey did. Yeah. Although Gansey has also been dealing with this for 18 months. That's true. There's a lot that's been built up in that relationship that Blue does not have. Mm -hmm. And do you think it makes me look tougher? And he's self-deprecating. He knows that it does not, in fact, make him look tougher. Right. And Blue thinks she didn't think it made him look tough. She thought it made him look more fragile and dirty somehow, like a teacup unearthed from the soil. But Blue didn't say that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Ronan's like, it makes you look like a loser. And I'm like, Ronan, you ass. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, (laughs) asshole, now is not the time and never actually is the time. But (laughs) do you think he's jealous of Blue noticing? There are a couple moments where where there's this little hint of jealousy between the three boys and Blue. It could be. I mean, I don't know that Ronan has exactly realized what's going on with that yet. But no, he hasn't. And I was also like, Gansey, don't you dare call Ronan out for saying this when you just had that. The worst conversation, like for reals. You do not. Like less than half an hour ago. Yeah. You do not get to say shit to anyone about anything about Adam right now. Mm -hmm. We are still mad at you from a recording we did two weeks ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Mora yells for everyone to sit down. And I'm amused by the way that everyone automatically obeys her mom voice. Yeah. It's like it works better than Gansey's kingly voice. Yeah. <laughs> and then Adam trying to rub off the bruise. I'm just like, oh, uh, sweetie. Oh, uh, and it hurts in multiple ways because it makes me think of Noah's cheek. Oh, uh-huh. And this could very well kill Adam if he doesn't get out of the house. Absolutely. It it makes me wonder if that's a symbolic gesture. Right. I hadn't even thought about the connection to Noah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So they're sitting down and Blue mentions that Gansey takes the head of the table. And I'm like, of course he does. Like chairman of the board with his arms on the armrest uh-huh. and everything. I know. <laughs> and he also notices the Steve Martin pick. And I'm like, for crying out loud. I know, what right? What is the deal with that picture? <laughs> we don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> it is the mystery of the Raven cycle. <laughs> It's not Glendower, it's Steve Martin's side <laughs> photograph. So, and then it mentions that only Kala and Ronan remain standing as they regarded each other warily. And I'm like, they're basically the same character. Oh, yeah. I've been trying to convince you of that for months. I never said okay. they weren't. Okay. All right. <laughs> A vindication. Yeah, I can totally picture them standing on either side of the doorway, leaning up against the door frame, uh-huh. scowling with their arms Absolutely. crossed, like kind of side eyeing each other. Mm-hmm. The boys made the house feel more crowded than it's ever been. Which Blue knows is utterly untrue, but their presence, perhaps because it's so masculine, is mm-hmm. is overwhelming. To right, everybody. right, right, yeah. And she's like, it's possibly true there have never been this many men in the house before. Certainly there have never been this many raven boys. Right. She thinks to herself, they made her family dingy just by being here. And it's like, no, Blue, you are making your family dingy in your own head. Absolutely. Literally none of these boys probably give two fucks about dingy because two of them have a fridge in their bathroom. (laughs) Absolutely. For Christ's sakes. Like, they are no one to judge. (laughs) You are doing this to yourself. We'll be all too happy to tell you about how horrified he was by that yes, in a couple yeah, of books. Yeah. <laughs> Morris says it's too damn loud in here. Mm-hmm. And Persephone starts to wince. Right. Is it voices again? Maybe. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Blue thinks it might be her. Right. And offers to leave. Right. So Ganji's like, why, why would you have to leave? And Mora does a quick explanation of how Blue's powers work. And she says that the boys are very loud already. And this gets Blue to wondering what the heck is actually going on right, here. Right, right. She could imagine herself heating like an electrical conduit. Sparks from all parties traveling through her. What could these raven boys have going on under their skins that would deafen her mother? Was it all of them in conjunction or was it merely Gansey and his energy screaming out the countdown to his death? That's a good question and I'm pretty sure it's a combination. It's everybody there at the same time. Yeah, although, however, Mallory specifically says that Gansey's energy is bland and calming in Blue Lily Lily Blue. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's Gansey, but it's not specified and we're deep in Blue's POV here. Right. So if she doesn't know, we're not going to know. Right. Blue comments that Gansey is clearly the ringleader and that the others look to him for cues on how to interpret the situation. And this is true, but Renan and Adam aren't lackeys. As much as Adam thinks he is, neither of them are owned by Gansey. And, you know, they think for themselves. Yeah, but it is referenced over and over that they are owned by Gansey. So this obviously is something that comes up throughout the books from outside perspectives. Mm -hmm. And Mora is also the ringleader. And she, at this point, looks for feedback from her two seconds. Right. So, again, just a parallel with Mora. She's definitely a ringleader in the same way that that Gansey is. is, Because, as we see when she disappears later, they fall apart far far (laughs) away (laughs) in my favorite book Uh, (laughs) uh. (laughs) well if Um, I can force you to get through dream thieves we can I can force myself to get through blue (laughs) lily lily blue Mora is completely overwhelmed by all of this and she's looking like as you said to Persephone and Kala for reassurance Mm -hmm. and suggestions and Mora's reaction really upsets blue because she's undone by reading for like the second time in as many days 
And, you know, the boys are unnerved, too. Adam and Gansey are exchanging glances, and Ronan's picking out his straps. Right. Ronan's definitely doing practiced disinterest here. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Moore and Persephone exchange glances, as do Gansey and Adam, and the pairs are matched against each other. Absolutely. And is like, okay, how do we do this? And Persephone, nervously, like, her voice is described as nearly inaudible, suggests doing it one at a time. And this echoes Adam making things quiet for Gansey. Mm-hmm. Kella's response to this is a terse, like, well, it is what it is. Take it or leave it. And that's a very Ronan. It really is. Blue notices that Gansey and Adam are kind of conversing without actually talking just Mm -hmm. by looks. Mm -hmm. That way that you do with a really close friend. Yeah. You know, she's seen her mother and Kala and Persephone do it. And she's kind of jealous because she's never really had that with... Has she ever tried? I mean, that's the thing with Blue is that she specifically has said that she's kept herself distant from everyone else in her life except her family. Right. So has she ever tried to have that kind of relationship with someone? She probably hasn't, but maybe she's just realizing now that she wants to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they finally decide that they can indeed manage one at a time. Mm -hmm. And Persephone says that Blue should deal. I was kind of wondering about this because Blue makes things louder. Right. And aren't things loud enough already? Right. Well, this action, if nothing else, it puts Blue separate again. So you have the three boys waiting and the three women waiting and Blue acting as a go-between. Right. And the women wanted Blue to touch the deck first to hone whatever messages the cards might contain, right. which is an explanation of what the question that I just asked. Right, right. <laughs> For the boys' benefit, she shuffled the deck in a highly theatrical fashion. The boys were impressed, and she wants to be impressive to these boys, much as mm-hmm. she sneers at the thought. Right. I love that little, like, flourish that she does mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, you know, the fancy shuffling, and she mentions that she's good at card tricks. And she's 100% right. She would make a really good fake psychic. Mm-hmm. So Blue offers to deck to Adam first, and he meets her eyes with a gaze that feels aggressive to her. Mm-hmm. She's talking about how different it is than he the was night the night before. before. And I'm like, it's just that he's still coming down and reacting to what has just happened. You know, I can think maybe, too, that he is trying to make a connection with her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because of his headspace, he's just in like not a right. Great- not a great place and then blue's suddenly aware of her mother's accent she feels like it sounds rural and uneducated and she worries that's how she sounds right she's like oh do people think i sound like that and i'm like yeah probably right right (laughs) from personal experience yeah they probably do but then again i'm kind of sad that i've pretty much lost my accent over the years right and this is also interesting because it's how adam sounds on adam's card right So he gets the Two of Swords, and Kala says, you're avoiding a hard choice. It's Kala, right? Mora. Mora. I should have written down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Kala does not speak at all through any of this. okay. Except for with Ronan. Mm -hmm. Right. You're avoiding a hard choice, acting by not acting. Someone's asking something of you that you aren't willing to give. They're asking you to compromise your principles. Someone close to you, like your father. And then Persephone says, or brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, his actual dad or Gansey for the brother. Right. And then I think we'll just do the full Two of Swords interpretation here. Yeah, let's do that. 
Two of Swords, in the Rider Waite deck, this card depicts a blindfolded woman holding two swords. Mm-hmm. Entry on my two-word chart for this card is choice or stalemate. And this fits perfectly with the description that Adam has given. Right. A couple of things in the description of this card in 78 Degrees really caught my attention in regards to Adam. Mm-hmm. It says the card can represent pushing everything away beyond an emotional fence. A deliberate closing of the eyes. Right. The swords represent anger and fear, creating a precarious balance. One wants to strike out, the other wants to hide. And so the person remains tensed between them. And I'm like, that is a Mm -hmm. spot-on description of what is going on with Adam. Yeah. 78 Degrees also mentions that the cross swords would change the center of balance of this person in the art Mm -hmm. from their actual, like, solar plexus from their center up toward their chest. Okay. Attempting to stop emotions make a person more emotional Hmm. and they think and act not from the center but from the constricted chest seeing not the world but their own image behind the blindfold right Um, yeah this ties in well with Mora's statement that Adam might find a better way if he can look beyond the two that he's already seeing right and I wanted to talk about that in the Raven Tarot I find that this Obviously, like I said, Maggie wrote this, and while it's not the Raven Cycle Tarot, it is very closely tied together. The keywords are duality, decision-making, choice, and a stalemate. And it's very similar to what we already went over, so I don't want to go into that. But the art on this card is amazing. And it's two hands tied together, which would represent the blindfold. But it mm-hmm. also makes me think of Adam with the demon. <gasps> Yeah, you're right. Oh my goodness. And not only that, but the position of the hands is they're laced together and laced together like they would be behind the person's behind the back. back. It looks like some it, it looks like hands behind someone's back. Yeah, yeah. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So it's pretty much exactly the hands position of Adam during the demon attack, right. which I think is really interesting. That is. Mm. So with this information, Adam asks what the correct choice is. Right. Not a bad question. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, they tell him there isn't one really, just what he can live with. Mm Mm-hmm. And Moore also mentions that he needs to stop ignoring his emotions. Right. Which is, again, I just talked about that kind of thing. Right. And this is all stuff that Ronan helps him with and helps him realize later. Mm-hmm. Gets him out of his brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Adam represses, obviously, due to his abuse and his fear that he will become like his father. Right. And I want to tie that into the gray man later mm-hmm. and why the gray man also represses his emotions due to right. abuse. And Blue notes that when Gansey was polite, it made him powerful. Mm-hmm. And when Adam was polite, he was giving power away. Such a good 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 Mm -hmm. yeah i know you really like that quote i like that quote so much something about ronan dripped venom even though he hadn't spoken ronan had not said anything to blue directly up until this point in the book he has not said a word to her as Mm -hmm. far as i can remember and yet she's still like ooh, yeah 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 (laughs) yeah Blue thinks it's best to save Gansey to last. Mm-hmm. So she moved on to Ronan, who, again, she's just said she's afraid of. Right. But she also really wants to impress him. Right. And she wants to court his favor and earn his approval. Because it would mean more. Right. Mm-hmm. She mentioned that he stood in the doorway near Kala and they looked ready to box. Which both Kala and Ronan do actually know how to box. <laughs> Kala is shown to be boxing later. And uh-huh. it's another parallel. And I would love to see them box. Yes. That would be <laughs> amazing but their body language is described as stiff and brittle and cold Mm -hmm. they're so so similar ronan refuses to take a card 
he gives a spiel about how they need to prove they're real before he'll take a card. And I can see that. But he's also just super uncomfortable with the whole idea because he doesn't want to deal with terror because he's Catholic. Right. We learn later that he's really got these deep-seated issues with 300 Fox Way. Uh-huh. And it's not simply because he wants to be a jerk, although he wants to be a jerk. Yeah, he real. does. But he's deeply uncomfortable with the thought of being there as evidenced mm-hmm. by the fight with Blue to go back to see Kala with the puzzle box mm-hmm. in The Dream Thieves and that's page 162. Right. And then he says Jungian bullshit where I'm like yes Ronan you are not a dumb person you are so smart. <laughs> I wish that I'd had time to go more into the Jungian stuff. And We don't need it. Not yeah. in this episode. <laughs> but he is covering his fear here as always with this hyper masculine posturing. Right. And he asks for specifics and Morris starts to reply we don't deal with specific and then Kala touches his tattoo uh-huh. uh-huh and she immediately says a secret killed your father and you know what it was right right this is where we learn about Kala's psychometry right and does Kala actually see the secret because I- I'm guessing not but why not I mean she just says he's creating and then right. it's mentioned here that Kala does dream interpretation uh-huh and then his face was turned just slightly, looking where her fingers had been. And I could just see this oh, motion. Oh, me too. Just the like, stance. Just like kind of feel the shock of it. Just ooh, Like, did ooh, you just touch me? Did you just touch me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it mentions that he looked young beside her, like a lanky wildcat not yet up to wait. And she mm-hmm. was a lioness. It's a direct called comparison. Uh-huh. And then she hisses, what are you? And he asks the same question when he's taking communion at the church, page mm-hmm. 93 in the Dream Thieves. Uh-huh. Please, God, tell me what I am. And it's also echoed by Adam in his dream with Cio Quid Estes Avos. It's page 231 in the Dream Thieves, which mm-hmm. that's Adam saying, I know what you are. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, Kaminsky says, I know what this is. And Adam says, I know what you are. Mm -hmm. At this, Ronan freaks Mm -hmm. and just goes out to the car. Yeah, me too. Yeah. (laughs) And slamming the door hard enough to rattle the dishes again. Yeah, echoes of the Welk chapter again. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'd like to say on Twitter, we put out a bit of a question. And one of the things we asked was if Ronan had a card, what would it be? He never actually gets a card pulled for him. So is there any idea of what you think? I liked a few of the suggestions that we heard. Mm -hmm. But I think if I had to choose one of my own, I might pick the Ace of Wands. Yeah, I definitely thought about Wands quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just because like the Ace of Wands is creativity and this blooming of passion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. inspiration beginning opportunity I definitely also looked at the wands suit Mm -hmm. as a possibility as well Mm -hmm. one person on twitter RK Lovestroy recommended the wheel of fortune which was karma and destiny and they had said the wheel of fortune which I predict for the TV version because his life depends on how he's willing to be brave to balance his dreams and nightmares in order for himself to make his own choices without any restraints Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. That was a really good choice. Yeah, there was a Tumblr post that I re-blogged recently, and I will post it again once we actually release this episode, that actually had the hermit 
for Ronan as well, which I thought was an interesting choice because that's introspection, but it's seeking information and you actually have to work for it, basically. And then I would give Ronan my favorite card surprising no one um i see ronin actually as the moon which i've also seen as a card that's been associated with ronin and it's twofold first off because the moon in some respects can represent fear and illusion right but it's also dreams and dreaming and kind of looking past that illusion Mm -hmm. to see what the actuality of it is right and I wanted to read a little bit about it from Maggie's Raven Tarot okay imagine you're walking in a landscape lit only by moonlight there's not enough illumination for you to be certain that there's even a path You're not sure if you're headed toward peril or comfort. The only comfort you have is that the night can only go on so long and eventually day will arrive with the sun. So many people read the moon as a negative card and it's true that it's not a comfortable place to be. But the wonderful crazy part of this card means that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. A lot of good ideas come out of the liminal space of tilting unease, just like a dream, which might turn out to be either terrifying or wonderful. The ultimate tone is often decided by how you choose to view the world around you, (laughs) which I think is pretty Ronan. Yeah, it is. That's a really good choice. Yeah. And when I went to one of Maggie's talks and I actually had her sign the tarot cards, I was like, well, first off, I was like, I don't have real books because I'd listened to them all on audiobooks. So I had her sign a piece of artwork. And I also was like, so I'd like you to sign a tarot card. Would you like to pick a card? Do you want to sign a favorite card? Do you want to sign my favorite card? And she said, oh, let me sign your favorite card. So I gave her the moon and she's like, this is my favorite card too. And I was like, I am going to cry right now. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. So, so I am going to guess, just based on the fact that Ronan is pretty much Maggie. That the moon is that his That the card. moon is probably his card. And I have it signed. And it's my <laughs> favorite card, too. So, All right, Ronan storms out. And Gansey's voice was cordial enough to pass straight through polite and on to rude. And again, he's using his culture wielded as a shield. Right. Kella is basically like, and what is it that you came here for if you didn't believe we could do what we're charging you for? He asked for a specific. I gave him a specific. I'm sorry it wasn't puppies. And are you Kella? Are you actually sorry? Because you kind of live for the drama. <laughs> and like, are you genuinely sorry that you upset Ronan? Because I don't think so. Right. They're starting to bicker. And Mora is calling off Kala as Adam is calling off Gansey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, there's such similar group dynamics. Right. Mora is shaken. Gansey is shaken. Ronan is shaken. Mm-hmm. And Everybody's just upset. Right. Upset. Uh, legitimately, yes. Mm-hmm. And Blue sees the change between Gansey's, between versions of Gansey right. for the first time here. And she wishes she had been watching more closely, which seems to be a fairly common common theme and Ronan wasn't comfortable coming here in the first place says Gansey and I'm curious as to what the conversation was like before they showed up Blue mentions that Gansey sounded so old take a drink (laughs) I'm drinking (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. there was something intensely discomforting about him Uh he made her feel so strongly other that it was if she had to guard her emotions against him She tells herself she's basically not allowed to like him or she'll get overwhelmed. Right. 
Which kind of makes sense. Right, right. And then she She's finally a... sees the pig. Right. And, and the pig was the sort of orange Orla would definitely paint her nails. Correct. <laughs> or wear it on a bikini uh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what she'd expected an ugly and b-boy to drive. She was if she had a new and shiny versus old and shiny. But it was clearly a Raven boy's car. Blue had a falling sensation. And again, Blue's intuition manifests as physical feelings. And I was wondering, do you have that? I've definitely done that before. Yeah, I have that as well. Just been like, no, I don't need to be here. butterflies in the stomach, Uh, kind of like that uncomfortable prickling on the back of the neck. Yeah. But she doesn't recognize it as her intuition screaming at her. Yeah. And she says that there's something odd and complicated about all of the boys. Blue thought odd and complicated in the way that the journal was odd and complicated. Their lives were somehow a web and she had somehow managed to do something to get herself stuck on the very edge of it. Mm -hmm. And she mentions that in this room with Mora and Cal and Persephone, time felt circular. And I'm I'm like, and Blue says she's not psychic. Right, right. (laughs) And with Gansey there, it's probably even more so. Right. The smell of mint made Blue's heart trip unsteadily as she approaches him. And again, that's almost a love language. Right. Blue has a moment of seeing Gansey in the same way that she saw him as the spirit. She wonders when he becomes that person, losing the effortless, breezy confidence she sees in him now. Mm-hmm. Gansey often appears this way when he's concentrating on something, and Blue sees it better when she's concentrating on magic. Right. When she's talking about the spirit in the churchyard, she's feeling empathy or pity or something else, and she asks, when do you become this person? He's that person now, Blue. You just mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet. Right. Gansey asks if Blue can pick the card for him. And Persephone says that will work if Gansey wants it to. Right. And more as it is all about intention. Right. Yep. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. Adam shifts in his seat, frowning. And is he jealous? I'm pretty sure he is. Mm-hmm. And Gansey asks, please, which just gets me for some reason mm-hmm. here. So as Blue scans the cards, she thinks about how Mora has told her the right card will often feel warm or tingly. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I felt that before. But they all feel the same to Blue. So she just takes one that's kind of slid out a bit. Yeah. And I do that too. Sometimes they jump. (laughs) And Blue lets out a little helpless laugh. She felt like someone was laughing at her, but she had no one to blame but herself. And I was kind of picturing like fate Uh personified laughing at Blue. (laughs) It's the Page of Cups. Right. And we should probably go into what the Page of Cup means now. Sure. <laughs> this is obviously, as we've seen before, Blue's card. Right. And the description of the art on this card is just a young person holding a cup. Mm-hmm. It's typical Rider weight. And Mora's description of this as like someone who is full of potential mm-hmm. is pretty accurate. It matches a lot of other descriptions of the cards that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Page of Cups represents synchronicity and creativity. Mm-hmm. And 78 Degrees, the description is a little different, a little more in depth. It describes the Page of Cups as representing someone who is childlike or young at heart. Pages in general represent young people. Mm-hmm. And it represents a person at a time in their life where they don't have a lot of ties to responsibilities or sensual desire. Mm-hmm. It also represents the time in a person's life where imagination and creativity, for its own sake, like Blue does an awful lot, mm-hmm. is absolutely appropriate. 
Another bit of interpretation here that I liked and found interesting and relevant to Blue, so the Page of Cups also can represent somebody developing psychic abilities either through study or peacefully on their own. Yeah, the whole Cups card is basically mm-hmm. emotions and psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. And to just echo that with Maggie's book, it's emotion, childlike, and innocence. And she's basically an emotional creature. She believes in the power of dreams and goodness inherent in everyone. And she can sometimes frustrate the more practical members of society because she's a diehard romantic. Right. Which made me laugh. And then (laughs) the art on the card of the Page of Cups in Maggie's deck is actually a nest with little blue eggs in it. Oh, how sweet. It's so cute. And that, to me, represents that potential because mm. the whole suit of cups is actually ravens oh. in the raven tarot. And so it's the potential of the mm. little baby birds being. Aww. Yeah, it's so cute. Baby chainsaw. Baby chainsaw. All right. So, yeah, Mora gets really pissed that Blue's card showed up. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, it had Blue's energy on it. Pick again. Right. Right. More than mad, she gets stony, still mm. and remote. And is she seeing something? Like, because she's get still and remote. It's almost like she might be picking up on something. And then Mora must already know how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she's denying it. Right. And there's a moment where Persephone's mouth starts to kind of move like she's holding something back, it says. Uh-huh. And what does Persephone want to say? What is know. she holding back? They shuffle and, and he picks his own. Mm-hmm. And it's the Page of Cups again. Right. And I'm like, face it, Mora. She's going to be involved. Right. I like the whole, he pulls it like he was pulling a raffle winner. Uh-huh. And again, it's such a good turn of phrase because I can picture the exact uh, like, motions. Like, uh, of like, like head turned away. <laughs> yeah, and... Like this. Mm-hmm. And then that's the visual for those people who can totally not see us. He notices how it looks like blue. And does he feel something here? I don't know. And Mora snatches the card away. If it had been left in the deck, would he have pulled it a third time? I would say yeah. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. But anyway, so Mora makes him pick again. (laughs) Yeah. And he gets visibly annoyed. Yes. Which makes Blue like him a little better Uh because she's seeing that Gansy has something under the surface. And then he picks the next card with flourish, like without even looking. He picks it. He's annoyed and forceful. He flips it over and he's like slams it on the table and he's clearly done with this. And Mora's like, that's your card. Right. And it's done. Right. And is Mora being smug here or is she just done? Because I always kind of read it as she's being a little smug. And I'm like, Maura, come on, mm-hmm. don't do that. Mm-hmm. And Blue notes, outside the window behind them, a breeze hissed audibly through the trees. And it just feels like Cave's Water, the ley line, is reacting to the card coming up. Uh-huh. And is Cave's Water recognizing the moment that Gansey knows that he will die? Possibly, and, quite possibly. Yeah, death. He doesn't sound surprised or alarmed. He just read the word like eggs or Cincinnati. And it's such a good line. It gives right. a little bit of levity, but it also shows that he's playing off this emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Kala kind of crosses her arms and gives mm-hmm. Mora a very terse, like, way to go. And Persephone says that they should give Gansey a refund. Even though they haven't charged him yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then Adam asks if death isn't just symbolic. And of course, Adam has researched this. Uh huh. <laughs> Which is really great considering that he ends up using the tarot cards later. Uh, do you want to talk about the death card? Yes. 
Yeah, so Death, the card that Mora has just insisted is Gansey's. In the Rider Waite imagery is a skeletal knight on a pale white horse. It's often seen as transition, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Adam had mentioned earlier. Right. And Death is one of the major arcana. Mm-hmm. And in 78 Degrees, it mentions that this card always indicates that Death, which is a subsequent rebirth, is not only a possibility, but also, in a sense, a necessity. The moment has come to die. By drowning us in lethargy, the ego prevents awareness of this fact from coming to consciousness. Again, this can be seen as very Gansey. Mm-hmm. Gansey's stuck in a repeating cycle of death and rebirth, and he spends much of the series struggling with inactivity, trying to decide on the right course of action. Mm-hmm. Death is the 13th card of the Major Arcana. By breaking up what can be seen as the perfectness of 12, right. 13 signifies a new creation and a new start and a rebirth. Mm-hmm. Death breaks up old forms and makes way for the new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, change, transformation, and rebirth. While, yes, here they are talking about a physical death, if they had been interpreting it as rebirth throughout this whole thing, that would have been actually a more appropriate reading right. for Gansey. Mm-hmm. And on Maggie's deck, it's a skull with a crown on it. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I have a science tarot deck. Mm-hmm. And in that one, death is a skull of ice melting away. Oh, awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. So the symbolic meaning of the card fits Gansey better, actually, right. as we said. But we just don't know that yet, unless mm-hmm. someone here in this room of 300 Fox Way is actually thinking he's reincarnating. Right. And Blue and the other Foxway ladies are really uncomfortable now because Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, this time it really isn't symbolic. Yeah. And it makes Blue feel ill. And again, she has that feeling her intuition is in her body. Mm -hmm. Aglin, be a boy or not, he was only her age and he obviously had friends who cared for him and a life that involved a very orange car. And it was (laughs) hideous to know he'd be dead in less than 12 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, Gansy says he doesn't care. And I was like, oh. He probably yeah. already knows at this point. And yeah, like, this yeah, is this when is... he knows. It's made real when Persephone dies. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the reality of it doesn't come to him until that happens. Right. But yeah, he goes into sort of this hyper casual mode, which I interpret as Gansy sort of deflecting. Mm-hmm. And he says, I didn't really come here to have my future told. I'm quite okay with finding that out for myself, which is a direct echo to Blue earlier in the churchyard mm-hmm. before she saw Gansy. She wasn't in interested in telling other people's futures she was interested in going out and finding her own right that's page nine right and then he realizes or he blues perspective it seems like he realizes he's walking a fine line between polite and ronin which is is about as fine a line as the pacific ocean yeah let me just say that i i I might give him the atlantic but it's definitely a pretty (laughs) I grew up on the Pacific, all right? (laughs) Pacific's what I'm going to think about. So Gansey finally gets around to asking about the ley line, and he gets stonewalled by Mora Mm -hmm. and the others, like, offensively. Right, yeah, yeah. And Gansey is mad, and I would be too. Right, right. And Blue is really horrified at her mom's behavior. She's always thought her mother was the most truthful person around. Blue, your mom lies to you all the time. <laughs> she just couches it more pleasantly uh-huh. when she's lying to you. Yeah, and she absolutely once, does. Once again, is Mora trying to protect Blue? Because Persephone avoids the question. Callus shoots a sarcastic response about specifics to mm-hmm. deflect, like Ronan. Right. He deflects with sarcasm. And then there's a faint 
sweet, amused smile on Gansey's face because he knows they're lying. Mm -hmm. It was a strangely wise expression. Once again, Blue got the sense he was older than the boys he had brought with him. Drink number two! So Blue overcharges Gansey. Maura says, oh, it's $20. Mm-hmm. And Blue's like, each. Right. Because she's like, he'd spent more than $20 on the laces to his top ciders. Right. That is so funny. Yeah. And the funny thing is, it actually seems to make him feel better. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's like, okay, well, good. This is what I expect. Uh-huh. And she peeks at his driver's license, too, nosy girl. And Kala coughed into her fist. And I just figure Kala's hiding a laugh. Oh, probably. Yeah. It was Adam, though, who Blue noticed then. He was looking at her sharp-eyed, and she felt transparent and guilty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like her mother, she'd said nothing, so she was complicit. And Adam again being observant and studying the social interactions. Right. Mora is thrilled to show Gansey out. For a moment, Gansey looks like he agrees, and it's another moment where they mirror each other. And he says, look, we're all adults here, and Kala disagrees. Me too, Kala. Me too. (laughs) And so Gansey is just straight up like, hey, if you know and you don't want to help me, just say so. Right. And so Mora dies. Right. And Kella is thrilled. Blue is shocked. And Gansey just nods. Mm-hmm. And Adam shoots Blue a look that she can't interpret. Mm-hmm. And then they leave. And a second later, the Camaro revved high and the tires squealed out his true feelings. And okay, he is just a 17-year-old boy slash ageless forest after all. There's mm-hmm. only so much he can handle here. <laughs> and the house is quiet afterwards with the sound sucked out. Again, Blue may be picking up on more than she thinks. Right. She, the voices are gone. Yeah. The loud is gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And she just turns to her mom and is just like, Mom! Yeah. Like that's all she can all so she, she can says manage. it twice. Mom! Uh-huh. And then Cal was like, Mora, that was very rude. Then she added, I liked it. And my comment is <laughs> literally L-O-L, like all spelled out. <laughs> And so Mora forbids Blue from seeing Gansey again. And this really upsets Blue because Mora's never really told her what to do before. Right. And Mora says that it's just like telling Blue to not to walk in front of a bus. But is it though? Not really. Not really, no. (laughs) And then Persephone's like, if someone had stopped you walking in front of a bus, Blue wouldn't be here. Snap! Persephone is calling Mora out and I love it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Mora mentions disfigurement, which almost happens to Blue though. She's got a point there. Mm -hmm. And how much of this is psychic Mora and how much of this is Blue's mom Mora talking? I'm about 99% (laughs) Blue's mom Mora talking. Yeah, I think it's about 99% Blue's mom. Yeah. And it says that Mora swept her hand across the reading table as if she were cleaning off crumbs. And I'm like, she's just kind of clearing energy, I think. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. She tells Blue that the best case scenario is making friends with a boy who's going to die. And this makes Kala realize something. And I'm not sure exactly what. No, no. They know, but we don't know because we're in Blue's POV. Yeah, because Mora's like, don't psychoanalyze me. And Kala's Uh like, I already have. (laughs) And she's like, is it just Mora trying to keep Blue from losing someone the way she lost Artemis? Yeah, I don't know. But I have this whole section blocked off and notated best exchange. It's a really good exchange, you're right. And Mora sneers uncharacteristically. Mm -hmm. And then Ronan is more raven than the rest. Right. What does Mora mean by this exactly? We've talked about it a little bit, but what do ravens mean to Mora? And why Mm -hmm. is she saying that he's more raven than the rest? Right. It's a good question. We don't really get into that a whole lot. Mm -mm. 
I mean, it makes total sense to me. Right. But yes. Yeah. Kella says that Ronan feels like scrying into that weird space. And I'm like, that makes all the sense in the world. It's exactly like scrying into that weird space because they are one and the same. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she says there's so much coming out of him, it shouldn't be possible. And Ronan and Blue, the same impossible stuff. Mm-hmm. They both bear Caves Water energy. And I'm wondering, do the psychics not feel it on Blue or do they feel it on Blue? Did they feel it on Artemis because mm-hmm. he came out of Caves Water? And is that what Kala's referencing when they're not having that conversation Possibly. before? And then Blue goes, he's pregnant? Because Kella had said it's like the woman with quadruplets or triplets oh, yeah. or whatever. And she's like, he's pregnant? And I'm thinking, yes, Blue. Mora, maybe you really need to have a little birds and the bees talk with Blue because she obviously does not know how this works. <laughs> and then as I was writing that, I had a terrible thought of like a two-man play being put on for Blue with Ronan as the birds and Gansey as the bees. Oh my God. <laughs> and then my note is, it's late. Someone stop me. <laughs> and then Kella says that no he's creating and so is the space mm-hmm. and Blue thinks about that for a second and she's like well she was always creating but she transformed things from one thing to another mm-hmm. like transforming things that already existed right and um, but she suspected that what Kella meant was the true meaning of creative to make a thing where there was none before right Blue repurposes and remixes mm-hmm. and Ronan creates like God two gods in this church says Adam the first man mm-hmm. and it's the difference between art versus craft and of course art comes with influence obviously but there's Mm -hmm. a difference there and then Mora's like I've never told you to do anything before Blue but I'm telling you now stay away from them Mora come on like it's a YA novel you know that's not going to work you're psychic you should know this (laughs) seriously all right well with that we are at the end of chapter 15 it only took us forever so glad we only did one chapter this time oh my god (laughs) so most valuable character do you have someone picked i want to say fox way the house itself sell me on it or do you mean as a collective fox way like the women as a collective maybe i'm trying to put my finger on exactly what it is because like it feels hang on a sec yeah (laughs) So it almost feels like the psychics are kind of fighting this, but the house itself maybe is an element of fate. It's kind of like, no, this is what's like, you know, the page of cups coming up twice Mm -hmm. and like. So you're actually saying fate. Yeah, I guess, I guess so, maybe. As the most valuable character. I guess so, but it, like it. But you're representing it as sort of the cosmic forces. Yeah. That are exemplified by by, the Hunter Foxway. Yes. Okay. I know that's a little... Uh... That's esoteric, but this is an esoteric <laughs> chapter. That's a it's a lot to digest. Okay. All right. Uh, so because I, I actually similarly had a hard time choosing mm-hmm. because I really... Oh, God, I had such a hard time picking. I, I thought Mora was incredibly strong. Oh, yeah, really. Really, really strong. And it's a great chapter for her. Mm-hmm. I thought Gansey was really interesting oh, uh-huh. in this chapter because everything that Blue is observing about the way he is treating mm-hmm. this reading is really interesting to me. My most valuable character is actually Kala. 
And I think it's because she is that spark of impetus to show that they are not fucking around. Mm. Like you want us to do this for you, then we're you, gonna do we're it. gonna do this, and we are not gonna pull any punches. And you I'm better be okay with that. Puppies. I'm sorry it wasn't puppies. <laughs> and I feel like that tension that drives a lot of the rest of the story, mm-hmm. because the fact that it was proven that 300 Fox Way is the real deal mm-hmm. in this first reading, really sets the stage for a lot right. of what happens. Later. I agree. Good choice. So how do we... Do you want to remember it again? Okay. Because I'm not convinced. Okay. All right. Then we'll go with Kala. Can we go with Kala? Are you okay with Kala? I'm okay with Kala. I mean, it's hard to... Because like, I could see like the three women as being a collective in some mm-hmm. way. But uh, not the house itself. But okay. not the house itself. Then we'll go with Kala. All right. High five. Yeah. <laughs> so Maggie Watch. Some someday I'll actually come up with the actual. Um, I'm going to get the Morse code. Sure, for you. the Morse code. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so this is a bit of a cheat because we are going to record this during our holiday episode, but put it in the tarot episode because literally I dropped Shannon off, came home, and then got a <laughs> Google alert about this piece of news. Maggie Steve Otter's Scorpio C Tarot was picked up by Barbara Moore at Llewellyn. So it will be published. This was something that she had been working on. And you Yay. have not read the Scorpio races. I have not, but I but totally will pick it up. <laughs> yes. The audiobook again is mm-hmm. great. Great. Award winning, actually. And Scorpio C Tarot has a lot of Celtic mythology and of course it's horse based. Cool. So Brown says that the titles tap into the mythology of the author's 2011 book The Scorpio Races and draw on ancient pagan and Celtic traditions and the book and the deck are set to be published in fall of 2019. Cool. So we will have a new Maggie Tarot deck at some point in the future. Woohoo! And then it was just announced that Maggie has drawn a new Raven's Prophecy Page of Wands card featuring our favorite sweater-wearing, stick-chewing, manic pixie dream girl, Opal. Oh, so she's the Page of Wands. Yeah. I pre-ordered the book. Did you? From from Fountain? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Because I wanted the... Yeah. Harrison was like, you need that card. I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. (laughs) You can only get it if you pre-order the Raven King paperback from Fountain Books at www.fountainbookstore.com slash rkopal. It's so cute. It is really cute. It's super cute. Opal's the best. And quick little supporter shout out because we got what I thought was the best tweet ever. Although we've gotten plenty. We've gotten great tweets. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm not necessarily. But this one like like literally made me giddy. <laughs> we got a tweet from cat underscore slug and she said the raven girls have made me 500% more emo about Ronan Lynch than I ever have been before Aww. and I was like <laughs> yes 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 Navita is yes. doing a victory dance yes everything that I want in my life has been fulfilled <laughs> we've had other people that have said great things in the last couple of weeks and we of course will bring those up but that one just made me like so excited so mm-hmm. thank you so much cat underscore slug on twitter yeah with that we'll wrap up mm-hmm. so thank you all for listening our next episode 
will actually be the Holiday Raven Cycle short story. Two short stories. Short stories released by Maggie and Scholastic. Yeah, which we talked about a little bit earlier. I'll go ahead and make sure that we post links to these two short stories if you as a listener have not had a chance to read them. They're very, very short. And we're just going to go through those. I don't even think we'll do a deep dive. There's Mm -hmm. some Christmas traditions in the Foxway ones that are very interesting that I've done some research on. But generally speaking, it's probably going to be a pretty short episode. So that'll Mm -hmm. be our holiday episode and I also wanted to say that we will take a short little break in January we'll actually be probably taking a bit of a break in December which means that we will record episodes to have ready for January we'll probably just do an episode maybe the third Thursday of January and just skip the first Thursday of January because it's really close to the holidays and and all that kind of stuff but we'll let you guys know online we actually did a little quick tarot reading between the two of us and maybe we'll release that as like a bonus episode or something and probably only be 20 minutes. <laughs> so the recording schedule, as I said, is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next. And please send us your thoughts. And I really wanted to ask, this is episode number five, and we've had special episodes as well. And if you could just take a couple of seconds and give us a rating or a review on your podcast aggregator of choice, that would be amazing. We're a couple of episodes in and that would Mm -hmm. help other people find us. And of course, word of mouth has been great. Everyone's been so awesome, but just a little bit of ratings would actually push us. Tell us us how awesome you think we are. Well, (laughs) tell everyone else how awesome you think we are if you do think we're awesome because Mm -hmm. that will actually push us up on search engines and allow people to just find us more easily so that would be great thank you so much and you can find us practically everywhere on social media at r-a-v-i-n-g-i-r-l-s on twitter at raven girls on tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com and you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via gmail at substanceparty with the a's removed s-u-b-s-t-n-c-e-p-r-t-y at gmail.com And if we've referenced a post or article in the podcast, we'll do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. So until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! (laughs) So glad that we all did it. Maggie, just give us a short story prequel. I know, like, Steve Otters don't believe in prequels, but uh-huh. that's bullshit. Because I know for a fact you've written two short stories that are both prequels. Don't even give me that crap. Just give us a short story about Persephone, all uh-huh. right? And Kala, and possibly more, as, like, 20-year-olds. <laughs> anyway. Right. That's and, my uh, rant for this particular episode. Mm-hmm.